You're listening to Security Speaking, the SSI podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rodney Bosch, Senior Editor of Security Cells and Integration Magazine. I'm pleased to be joined by John Mack, who serves as Executive Vice President and Co-Head of Investment Banking at Imperial Capital. On October 28th, John is going to be a featured panelist at the Monitoring Association's virtual annual meeting for a session titled, Focus on Finance and M&As. Monitoring center owners, operators, and investors will want to be in attendance to hear and discuss critical information on key trends affecting finance availability, M&A valuations, and related current industry issues affecting the wholesale monitoring industry. Those are similar topics John and I will be exploring today along with uh, taking a wider look across the entire security industry. So John, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Rodney. Happy to be here. Right. Uh, let's jump right in. John, can you give us kind of a high elevation look? What is the current state for M&A in 2020? And how has the pandemic impacted this? So I'll, I'll sort of give it to you at a, at a very high level and then drop down to a little more specific commentary. So certainly, not surprisingly, uh, M&A activity globally, and certainly for the U.S. and North America, is off dramatically. Uh, it started to tail off in the second half of the first quarter. It fell off very dramatically in the second quarter, um, and only started to come back modestly in the beginning of the third quarter, uh, but down 30-40% over similar run rates um, for 2019 for the first half of 2020. What we're starting to see, again, globally outside of even the security industry is a pretty strong resurgence of M&A that's coming on strong, coming out of the third quarter with people looking to try and get transactions done before the end of the year. There's some pent up demand. There's some potential concerns about uh, capital gains tax and other things that are driving that. And so um, we're we're seeing a a recovery in a pretty dramatic fashion for uh, coming up for the fourth quarter right now. Specific to security, it's hard to make global uh, generalizations across the industry because there are sectors of the industry that are doing quite well and there are sectors that are having challenges. Um, those sectors in the industry that have more recurring revenue um, uh, are clearly more resilient for this kind of circumstance. Um, some of the bigger alarm companies have fared well because their recurring revenue gives them a constant revenue stream. Uh, whereas it's tougher for companies that have to find new installation revenue every month to make up the majority of their revenue. Uh, Video surveillance businesses on the manufacturing side have done well with uh, increased applications for video. Access control companies have done well. So where you see positive trends for the applications within security, you're certainly going to see positive implications for M&A. Um, and so that's the broader point. And then within the alarm industry, there's a, there's a more specific issue around financing and, and other issues that have impacted M&A that we can talk about later in our dialogue here. So that's the, that's the macro down to the more specific. If we can take just a real quick pre-pandemic view, going into 2020, 
was the M&A scene ready to be robust? And did the pandemic, I mean, obviously you said it just, just whacked it, something horrible. What, can you give us an idea where you projected the M&A scene to be before the pandemic hit, just to provide some context of the ultimate effect? Yeah, I mean, look, mergers and acquisitions activity is pretty tightly correlated to the economy. So if the economy is doing well, you're going to see a lot of M&A activity. It's also very tightly correlated to the cost of debt capital. So if debt capital is readily available and the cost of debt capital is relatively low, that too is going to provide an impetus for, for uh, M&A. Um, if you go beyond that, we had record levels of cash on corporate balance sheets at the end of 2019, and we had record levels of private equity uh, capital available to be deployed in 2020. So you had, you had the big four elements uh, lined up to make 2020 a very good year for M&A, certainly as good as or potentially better than 19, which was a very big year. Um, and, you know, I think there's, there's certainly some chance we'll see a return of more healthy M&A activity in 21 and 22. Nobody really knows what it's going to take for us to completely get out of the pandemic. So probably easier to suggest we're back to a more complete recovery by 22, but, but certainly some room for optimism of, of a better year in 21 than we had in 20. Okay, great. Thank you. I'd like to get a little more granular now in regard to security dealers and integrators. You mentioned RMR is, is a big deal in, in factoring in all of this, what are some of the most significant finance issues facing specifically dealers and integrators? Well, let's separate out the two because you're using terms, I think when you say dealers, you mean alarm dealers, and when you say integrators, you mean security integrators. So I'm gonna make that distinction because it's an extraordinarily important distinction. An alarm company will have upwards of 70 to 80% or more of its revenue coming from recurring revenue from its existing customers. And what we've seen in the pandemic is that customers haven't been inclined to cancel their alarm service. In fact, they've been more inclined to keep the service given concerns about unrest and, and other issues relative to the crime profile in communities. And so uh, that means that revenue stream has stayed incredibly constant. For a period of time, certainly in the height of the second quarter lockdowns, it was hard to do any kind of installation work. So even for the alarm company that needed to install new customers, that activity was pretty significantly curtailed. That had a more dramatic impact for security integrators because of course, a more significant portion of a security integrator's revenue is gonna be new installation work or work that requires them to go to the customer's premise. Most security integrators will have 20 or 30% of their revenue from some form of recurring revenue. Uh, but in many cases, even that recurring revenue requires you to visit the customer's premise. So that was more challenging. Um, and then you have to kind of dive in more specifically within the security integrator community. Uh, companies serving, for example, the government market were doing quite well because government facilities needed to be protected. There was a number of extraordinary initiatives that had to be taken on relative to the way uh, facilities were being used. And that, from talking to other integrators that serve that market, as an example, were quite active. Most integrators had a much bigger challenge on their hands because their revenue was, was cut back pretty significantly in the second quarter um, and the beginning of the third quarter. From anecdotal conversations I'm having with integrators, I'm hearing a pretty strong resurgence. Um, there's some pent up demand for business that wasn't completed in the second quarter and the beginning of the third quarter. So 
uh, let's hold that holds up. But I, I still think we're net down from run rate levels we would have had had this been a normal year coming out of September into October. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of consolidation going on prior to the pandemic in, in specifically in the integration field. What do you see right now as far as the pandemic affecting big guys gobbling up smaller, medium-sized integrators? I think as we go into 21 and 22, it'll provide more impetus for smaller integrators to consider transactions with larger acquirers. We, we know we have a, a healthy group of larger companies interested in doing acquisitions in the security integration sector. You have Allied Universal, you have Garda more recently coming in. You've certainly got Securitas and Convergence and ADT. So you've got a healthy group and there's others beyond that that want to do acquisitions. And if you're a smaller company and and you had a particularly tough experience in the second quarter and third quarter of this year, uh, I think it's going to give you more motivation to consider your options that maybe in a particularly good economy, you might not have been as inclined to, to want to consider a sale of your business. That uh, So I, I think it's going to provide uh, some, uh, some impetus to further M&A activity in that context. Okay, great. Let's move on to uh, the wholesale monitoring space. Give us an idea. What do you think are some of the most significant finance issues facing that, that specific industry? So uh, just to be clear, when we're talking about wholesale monitoring, we're talking about uh, the, the larger providers providing monitoring service to regular way dealers. So rapid response and affiliated in COPS and CMS and that, that group of companies. You know, there hasn't been, a, there's not enough of these guys that are actively in the market seeking financing that there's as much of a data uh, bank of information about what the market looks like. We had a recent transaction where BB uh, Partners uh, made a, uh, an acquisition of Veckler, which uh, is the, the owner of Avantgarde and Frias, and Avantgarde is a wholesale monitoring business, and, and apparently at a reasonably attractive valuation. So there's one data point there. Um, I think the wholesale monitoring businesses have been much more immune from some of the challenges that have faced the retail residential regular way dealers. And so their access to financing is probably better for the largest players in that sector. Um, and for the smaller players in the sector, uh, it's probably harder to come by financing because the issues associated with what's happening in the residential market probably have some knock-on effect on those smaller players. Uh, but again, it's not a sector that has a lot of data points for us to look at because once you get outside of the big four or five guys in that sector, you've got pretty small companies that, that aren't accessing regular way larger uh, debt capital markets. Okay. From, from a legal perspective, financial planning, what are, what are some of the key trends that monitoring center owners and operators kind of need to be aware of right now? Well, you know, on the residential side of the business, there, there's a whole host of things that I think you have to be thinking about. Um, you know, we, we're, we're facing a 3G, 4G transition. So you're, you're worried about making sure your customers during the course of 21 are going to be transitioned to a platform for communications from the system uh, into the monitoring center from 3G to 4G. Um, you're going to be increasingly focused on verification, uh, both in the residential and the commercial side of the business, because we've got initiatives underway to move to systems that score 
the alarm signal coming into the PSAP to the 911 center in order to figure out if you have a real alarm or something that justifies being dispatched and the technology that allows you to have your customer's system be verified and validated uh, is going to be increasingly important. So I think you're going to be looking carefully at the opportunity to evolve your customer base to that capability and make sure your monitoring center has the technology to be able to support that capability. Um, I think you're going to be looking at newer technologies on the commercial side, certainly much more active use of video and audio and other internet-enabled sensor technologies so that when the signal comes in from the, that system, you're getting more than just basic alarm data from a motion detector or a door contact. You're now getting video and audio and, and information about the whereabouts of the customer premise, uh, people in the premise and, and related technology. Uh, and we're also moving into an era where I think artificial intelligence, which is the buzzword really, you know, a glorified version of enhanced analytics are going to be applied to monitoring technology in a way that uh, allows for the ability to hopefully reduce false alarms and more accurately figure out when a real emergency is taking place. Um, indicative of that is the, the Google investment in ADT. I think a significant part of what motivated that was looking at the big data capabilities that Google can bring to bear, looking at immense amount of data that, that ADT is going to be bringing into their monitoring centers and how do you apply uh, analytics to that data to help uh, make that more effective. So there's lots of things. I, I think there's more to be thinking about um, in the next several years in the monitoring side of our industry than there has been in the last 30 years, given the evolution of technology, financing, and, and other trends. You mentioned Google's um, collaboration with, with ADT. Did that send shockwaves kind of through the financing end of this as technology draws in more um, technology <laughs> big players, Google being one? Did, or can you expect that uh, there can be some other tech behemoths to take a look at the industry and see opportunity? Well, look, we, we um We've already seen uh, the, the fact that, that Amazon owns Ring. So Amazon may have been focused on that for reasons outside of security initially, but I, I increasingly they've got all kinds of focus on different security applications um, that are associated with that. Uh, Google making the investment in ADT and, and announcing the partnership, uh, I think is a big deal. Certainly it was very good for ADT stock. Uh, which went up substantially um, after that announcement. And, and what I think is nice about it is there's been some presumption that somehow these big technology players can come in and just take over this industry with some magic technology that's going to do all the monitoring and you won't need monitoring centers and you won't need alarm companies. And, and that just makes no sense and never has. So Google saying, well, we absolutely think a partnership with somebody like ADT makes sense. We can bring some skill sets that we have to bear. What ADT brings to the table is really important in terms of the ability to manage customer monitoring interactions and uh, technology deployment in the home and, and all that goes with that. I think that partnership's a great statement about the future of, of the business where we can partner with these bigger technology players. We can get really good analytics technology and cloud-based uh, technology deployed in our industry and, and have this be, uh, you know, a, a point of, of opportunity. Okay, I want to I want to um, kind of draw back a little bit and focus a little bit more on the pandemic and how 
um, this is affecting. We'll stay on in, in, in the monitoring space. Is your TMA session going to touch on the government loans extended to businesses as a result of, of the impact of COVID-19 and in those kinds of details? I, I expect we will touch on it. I, I don't know that we expect it to be a big part of the dialogue in the session because I think we're sort of looking past that stage of what was required to help companies through the worst part of the pandemic and really looking to what do the capital markets look like coming out of 2020 into 21 and where, where are their challenges and opportunities, et cetera. Um, you know, I think the biggest issue that everybody's focused on with the PPP loans is um, the forgiveness criteria. Uh, it's been very hard and the government keeps putting off the, uh, the, the process and the, the definitions for how you can submit an application for forgiveness. And so, you know, that's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch. I don't think anybody expects anything dramatic in changes to what will be allowed for forgiveness. So I think 90 plus percent of the loans where people took them out, assuming they were going to get forgiveness, will indeed get forgiveness. But but there's certainly some anxiety and uncertainty about getting that process completed before the end of the year. Uh, and we're looking at the possibility of some new um, government support. So is, is there a, you know, a second or third generation of these PPP loans that happens late uh, fourth quarter, early 2021? We've got an election going on that could have an impact on that. But, but again, I think our view from the panel's perspective is to look past government support related financing and really talk about where are the regular way capital markets for, for companies that are doing well enough to access the market. Okay, great. So as we wind down our talk here, John, is there any other information that uh, attendees to the TMA session can expect? Some, some takeaways you might? Yeah, I, you know, look, it, it's... <laughs> It's certainly very interesting times. None of us have ever seen something like this before. So you've got a handful of people, I think, have pretty good perspective on what's going on in the market and what's happening. Um, so hearing what we're hearing from talking to our clients and talking to people in the capital markets, lenders, private equity groups, big strategics, um, we're going to try and share as much insight as we're gleaning from those conversations to give you a better perspective on what's going on in the market. I talk about trends that are impacting that positively or negatively. And so I think having that insight um, and being able to, to, uh, to use that in your planning as you go into the end of 20 and 21 and think about what the implications are um, should be quite helpful. So I, I'm hopeful that we'll, uh, we'll have a, a very productive panel and, and uh, provide that kind of useful information. Great. So anybody interested can go to TMA's website, learn more about it, register there. But listen, you also have something coming up after uh toward the end of the year it's it's uh imperial capitals what is it your yeah. 17th annual security investor conference you are going virtual man how is how is that planning going yeah well I, you know i'm i'm uh, i'm nervous and excited about it at the same time i've done a number of these uh, virtual uh conferences and panels for the last few months so i've gotten used to, to participating in them but hosting one uh, makes you a little nervous given all the new logistics we're putting together to do it but we're really excited. We've got higher levels of registration than we've had historically. We've got an absolutely fabulous group of presenting companies this year that I'm really excited about. I think it's going to give us a different opportunity for people to see more of the presentations than they normally could, uh, to see more companies. And so 
Uh, you know, December 2nd and 3rd is when we're doing that. Uh, it's, it's easy to register. The Security Investor Conference is the, uh, if you search on that title, you'll find the conference and uh, or go to the Imperial Capital website and you can find it there. And uh, we think that's going to be incredibly interesting this year to have uh, 65, 70 companies talking about how they've navigated all of these issues individually from video surveillance to cybersecurity to access control and everything in between. So it'll be good. Well, this might be a good spot for me to hit you up for a media pass. <laughs> sure. Not a problem. Okay. John Mack, Imperial Capital, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much and good luck with the upcoming events. Thanks, Rodney. Appreciate it. We appreciate your interest and encourage you to subscribe to Security Sales and Integration and its newsletters. Regularly visit securitysales.com for the latest news and follow SSI on social media.